What's up, everybody? It's time for another Ghost Cult Magazine podcast. I'm your host, Keefe. Today's podcast is an interview with director Adam Dubin from Murder in the Front Row. Check it out. And the Ghost Cult Magazine podcast welcomes in film director Adam Dubin of Murder in the Front Row. How are you doing today, man? I am fantastic. Uh, congratulations. Today is official official release day, I suppose. You've been showing the film around for a few years at festivals and uh, all kinds of events. Uh, New York Comic Con, which was a blast to have you at. And uh, yeah, man, this has got to be a big day for you personally. Yeah, it is. It's, it's kind of amazing to talk to you today because it's like this big sense of like like relief really having having brought the film along and uh and shown it to so many people and you know but i've always kind of known that that uh you know it was based in the screening room and talked to people but but a lot of people are really going to see this um you know in various ways you know in, in their own home and stuff i mean that's only brought forth more by the you know covid crisis and uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm just really happy that people will, will now have the film, and I feel it's like the film now goes to the, to the real fans, and that, that's, that's the, the real people who will enjoy this and, and, you know, learn from it, and, you know, and hopefully be moved by it. Um, that's it. It's, it's, in a way, it's theirs now, and it, it, it gets out of my hands and into theirs. So that's why it's a kind of a relief. It's a big day to just, you know, be able to transfer that. Over. Nice. And I, I love that you mentioned, uh, you know, kind of a normalcy thing, because, you know, I, I certainly I hope sincerely that nobody in your family or friends or circle has been affected by this thing. But in the greater music community, obviously, we've all been affected mm. by this thing. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's really, you know, it's quite something. I mean, you know, we'll all remember this, uh, and I hope people stay well and healthy. Um, but it, you know, to, it, in terms of what it means to put in the front row, in terms of like, you know, the whole. If you look at all the photos in Murder of Farrell and the story, it's really the story of live music. I mean, the music was built live. And of course, you know, great recordings were made, you know, and when, when uh, Bond of My Blood is, comes out, like a record like that, or Kill Them All. But all of that material was, was, was you know, built live. And, and the, the energy of the shows was built live. So it's a particularly, you know, kind of, you know, point in time to think about that when um, thrash music, which is a very live form of music, is, is sidelined at the moment by, by the crisis. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely something to, to think about. Right on. And, uh, yeah, I mean, clearly... Uh I, I wonder in these days if someday somebody, uh, a documentarian, a filmmaker, uh, a lover of music like yourself will come along and document these times and what that film is going to look like with the Corona live stream shows and bedroom concerts and, you know, concert, right. concerts in venues with no fans and just smoke and lights and a band. I, th I think there'll definitely be... Uh I mean, certainly there'll be documentaries about this and, you know, what happens. There'll be so many individual stories all over the place. And, you know, and, and we're, we're seeing some of it now. But, I mean, I think uh, particularly moving here, uh, uh, 
you know, it goes without saying the stories of bravery which are which are happening all around us. And that's the, the people that are working through this to try and help other people. So uh, yeah, there's going to be plenty of documentary that should come out of this, and it'll be interesting even when when live music gets back up and running because I think they'll just take up the pen for it. Of course, uh, we'll all want to go hear something live and see something live. You know, feel the energy. And uh, and that that'll be its own kind of uh, incredible moment uh, to to enjoy. So um, yeah, it's, it's it's quite a it's quite a moment in in our collective uh, uh, consciousness and history. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I was thinking just on a personal note that this is probably the longest stretch of time in my entire life. I have not seen a show barring a personal illness yeah. or a death in my family since I'm like 10 years old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm okay. yeah, it really is. It's, like, it's, it's a very unnatural thing, you know, especially, you know, for those of us who love music of any kind, or it, it, it's, um, that's the reason that, and even, you know, people love a movie. I mean, they've been, they've been saying for years that, you know, that, that, well, once people can download movies in their house, they won't want to go to a movie theater anymore. But really, a movie theater is this amazing collective experience. And, uh, people do want to go to a movie theater because they want to experience something together. I, I hope that's not lost. I hope movie theaters will still be with us when, you know, when this is over. And uh, because I think it's one of those really fun things to do. It's like special to go see something in, uh, in movies. And um, the same thing, you know, with live music, it's even more special. It's just because it's, it's there's a give and take live theater. There's a give and take with an audience. And uh, I think that's what makes it uh, come alive. So I think we should, you know, we should, maybe we'll value that more when we get to the other side of this. I hope so. I hope so. Um, yeah. Now to pivot uh, about you a little bit, and you know, we met in person, which I was thrilled to meet you, and that was a, a fantastic, fantastic uh, couple of events with you. Um, but you, you've actually before this film, I want to kind of dial it back for a second and just talk about you and your career because you, you've been in the business longer than this film for sure. Uh, so how did you kind of get your start in film and video and? Uh, that that led you to here, basically. Well, you know, I always wanted to to make films. Um, I, it, it was just, you know, for me, it was my calling in the same way that somebody else, when they picked up a guitar, they just, they, they knew that that's what they had to be doing. Um, I sort of, you know, I loved the guitar, and, and, uh, but I don't know, for some reason, my, my piece of this puzzle was to film and not to be the musician so much. And, um, so I I kind of um, just you know I I think it's when you know I, I knew I wanted to make films because I went to college to make films. But when I got to college, it was kind of a perfect moment because what you had was the beginnings of MTV, and so you had this combination of film and music happening, and it was very you know it was changing the whole music business as it was happening in the early eighties. Suddenly suddenly this visual medium, it mattered what a band looked like, and they had to have a video that looked like something. I thought that I liked all the videos. I didn't like everything I saw, but I, I sure knew that it was something pretty cool, and I wanted to do some of that. 
you know, and make some 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 of this combination of, of film and music, and uh, be a part of that thing. So, um, yeah, I, I felt it was a uh, it, it was kind of a cool time to be involved in all that during the rise of. And it wasn't just MTV. There were other places that showed music videos as well. But just you had this rise of uh, music video, and, and what what a band looked like was was really part of the whole picture. And, uh, and of course, some of those videos, uh, some of you know, very memorable, very cool. Um, so yeah. Right on, and and you were you were working on some of the you know you have worked on some groundbreaking stuff I think uh, that people don't really know associate with you but they hopefully will after this. Yeah, I mean I, I happen to be in a, a particularly interesting place and time, and uh, one of those uh, things was I you know I I would say like I was not part of the uh, Bay Area crash scene. I think I probably would have been would have been. If, if I grew up in the Bay Area, because that would have been a cool scene and I would have really liked that. But um, I was part of a hip hop scene that was growing in, and it was kind of punk and hip hop in New York. So I understood scenes pretty well. And uh, and I was just on, on the complete other side of the country doing something else. And I was able to, you know, witness and ultimately be a part of the rise of the Beastie Boys. Uh, but I witnessed the rise of Run DMC. I never made a music video for DMC, but I mean, I, I certainly watched this band just this incredible, you know, uh, group rise up and, and, and just become a force. Uh, they were great. They were always great. And uh, and so, in you know, in this case, um, I made, I just happened to be in the right place at the right time and was working with the right people. Um, for a time at college, I was roommates with Rick Rubin, uh, but that was before he was the legendary producer that he is now. And, uh, but I was in the right place and, and we made these videos uh, for the Beastie Boys, uh, Fight for Your Right to Party, and I went to to Brooklyn. And, um, again, it's, you know, when you're doing these things, you don't know that they're, uh, you just try to do the best job you can and, you know, you kind of think, well, this is cool and it should be good, but you have no idea what, where this is going to go or, and most importantly, you have no idea that it's, if it's going to be meaningful 30 plus years down the line. And it just, it's just very funny that it so happens that on the same day that Murder in the Front Row is coming out on video, which is today, April 24th, um, this documentary called The Beastie Boys Story is also coming out on video. And uh, I didn't make that documentary, it's like Jones made that documentary, but um, I certainly have a little piece in it with, uh, with the music video. So it's just interesting that, that these, these worlds are coming together in so many ways. Amazing. I'm really excited for that Spike Jones uh, movie as well. Love the Beasties. Yeah. It's a big, big part of my life growing up here in New York City. Sure. Um, and everybody's. Um, but yeah, that's kind of amazing. Did you get to meet Kerry like way back then? Because he's in uh, one yeah. of the, he's in that video for Fight for Your Right. Oh, oh yeah. So I did meet Kerry. Um, I was on the receiving end of Kerry's spikes. Um, I was in the No Sleep Till Brooklyn music video. I was the guy in the gorilla suit playing the guitar. So I'm the guy that actually Kerry like shoves off the stage as he, of course, takes center stage, which he, which he deserves. Um, yeah, so I, I you know, it, it, it was a very brief meeting. I mean, I knew who he was. He was, of course, a guitar player of Slayer. And, uh, but I mean, he didn't, you know, I was him. I was just the guy directing this video with, with my co-director, Rick Manella. And, uh, you know, he just came in, did what he had to do. He, he was... You know, he's Kerry King. I mean, he, he just, you know, got that, that persona that he brings to it. And uh, it 
it's all there on the film. I mean, he just came in and, you know, I think the same way he probably rocked that solo in the studio, he came out and did it in the video. And, and to him, you know, he was up to the joke. I mean, he didn't mind pushing a guy in the gorilla seat out of the way. That didn't <laughs> He was just uh, into, you know, giving a performance on camera. Um, that video was fun because we shot 35 millimeter film for that. So we had these big 35, we had like movie cameras, like what you think of and filming like a real, like, you know, like movie. So it was a very professional shoot and, um, and it looked pretty cool. So yeah, Kerry got out there, and, you know, he gave 100%. It's on the film, it's great. Nice. Um, I always found it kind of funny, not, not to, I'm not putting you on the spot or anything. You don't have to respond, but I always find it really funny that, uh, Carrie is a guy who kind of always kind of, I think he, uh, has some disdain for pop culture and hip hop and how hip hop is not particularly any rappers or anything, but just how hip hop has become kind of pop music. And then it's like, dude, you were in, you're on like the Beastie Boys uh -huh. records and you're in those videos, you know, yeah. but, but I, I guess that, he, you know, that's part of being Slayer and Carrie King is to reject authority and reject what's common and popular. Right. <laughs> I, I guess. I mean, I, you know, look, I, I, I don't know all his statements or anything, but I'll just say this. That, you know, I mean, Kerry King, like anybody, is, you know, has his opinions, musically or something else. He doesn't have to like everything. And uh, I think at that time, you know, he did that. I mean, if there's a piece of rap that he should do, it's like a song called No Sleep Till Brooklyn. By a band called the Beastie Boys, who at that time were, um, you know, kind of really just a punk band almost, and um, uh, doing rap. They, 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 you know, they were kind of on their way to graduating to hip hop stars, but they weren't there yet. And so, you know, they're doing basically a rock song or a heavy metal song, and they get, you know, the heavy metal guitarist of the, you know, that you could dream of, which is Jerry King. Um, I think that, but that really goes back to Rick Rubin's vision of this stuff, which he had totally talked to me about years before, of, of just mashing this all the stuff up. Rick Rubin did not see any difference between these things, you know, of, of hip-hop and metal and all this stuff. He saw it as like, we can mash these things up. He saw it way before a lot of other people. You know, um, uh, Kevin's got a full right to, to, you know, I think he wanted to be a part of that piece of it, but, you know, as hip-hop develops, maybe he doesn't see it as something he wants to listen to. He's entitled to it any more than, you know, I don't know how much he cares about some other kinds of music, you know. I'm, I'm not sure how much culture he listens to. So, <laughs> I hope none. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 you know, you, you vibe on the things you vibe on. I, I think... Uh, I don't know if he says it to be, to be, uh, you know, combative or if he's just pulling people's leg or something. But I, I got to tell you, working with him, Jerry, I haven't worked a lot. But I mean, when he came into the our interview, he was, um, he was game on Kerry King. I mean, he was the guy, you know, he, he wanted to wear shades. He, he gave me his game face that he would wear on stage. And I think that's great. But then again, he kind of laughed a little bit like when I asked, I always started everybody off. It's just, he told me a name away from him and he just joked. Right out of the gate, he was like, well, you know, anybody watching this knows who I am. You know, and he laughed. And that kind of broke the ice. And he was, he was uh, you know, he gave me great answers to my questions and he was, he was really very, very good. I think the best thing about it, that in that whole interview, the thing I loved was, um, I guess, you know, anybody knows that over the years, uh, Sherry King and, and Dave Mustaine have 
have their differences, although I think there's probably a lot of mutual respect too. But I mean, Terry was very, uh, you know, laudatory. He said very nice things about about the stand and his playing in my interview. But uh, I also wasn't looking to challenge him to try and provoke him. I I I, I went to make this movie to try to be. Uh, to talk about the music, I wasn't interested in, in, in making like a behind the behind the music like documentary where I provoke people into you know cutting cutting each other up. I didn't find that really in the material. I found the material to be all. Of, you look at the photographs; it's about camaraderie. People are like, you know, they they will, they will kind of working together to kind of uh, make this new kind of music flash, be something. So again, in my interviews with Kerry, I in my interviews with David Hussain. Nice. I think that's a, a tribute to you. You, uh, you know, speaking now about the film, uh, fast forwarding all these years later, uh, I love the interviews. Uh, maybe even the best part of the film, honestly, they're so well done, and everybody, you know, Carrie's not. You're welcome. Carrie's not the only one. Like literally, Kirk Hammett, Gary Holt, Scott Ian, Mustaine. Yeah. You know, these are, you know, even Larry Lalonde, these are legendary figures in music beyond our little subgenre that we love and, you know, their scene that we're very protective of. These are internationally known celebrity people. Scott's actually not in the film. It's the one person we have from this. I think that's really it, is that, you know, Scott is so often the, the, the face and the frontman <clears throat> of Anthrax. Um, that you almost take it for granted that, that it would be Scott. And um, I, I just, um, I had nothing against Scott Ian. I had great respect for his work. It's it's really, I, I Charlie, got to Charlie Demonte and asked him if he'd do an interview, and he was very gracious. to you. And I just felt that he gave such a great perspective to Anthrax, their piece in, in this story, that I didn't need to pursue. A Scott Ian interview, um, not, not that it wouldn't be good, but just that, you know, it, it, it was like I had what I needed for that piece of story, and so I moved on. Um, I, I can speak a minute about filmmaking. I made a very conscious decision when filming this movie to not overshoot my interviews. Um, you see some movies where they shoot, we shot about 50 people, maybe 52 or three, I can't remember. But there's movies that, that easily shoot 100 interview subjects, maybe more. And what you find out is you get to the edit room, and then you don't have room for all these folks. And they, a lot of people said really good stuff and don't have time for it. So I didn't want to do that. I wanted the movie to be like, if you see somebody, you don't see them just one time. You see them probably a few times, and you get to know them a little bit. And that was the goal I was looking for. So... As it, as it comes to something like Charlie Demonte, I felt that he's, he spoke so well for his group, uh, Anthrax, that I, I was like, I, I don't really need somebody else for that. I need other things. And so I went and got different. And, uh, and, I, and I just think it, it came out really nicely. And you, you actually get to feel a little bit with Charlie about when he talks about some things, particularly, of course, the death of, of, of Burton. Um, so, yeah, that was a kind of a filmmaking choice that, that made it into a decision of who and how you interview people. Nice. Uh, yeah, no, again, my favorite part of the film is the interviews, but the whole thing is great. Uh, some of the interviews with uh, the family members, you know, uh, of, of like the Ruthie's Inn granddaughter of the owner, like some of that stuff, man, the stone. Um, 
I've been out to San Fran a few times and made my pilgrimages to places that are no longer and some that are still. And, uh, you know, it's it's done with a lot of care, which I really respect, because, again, I think people don't appreciate the documentary, the sort of the the aim of the documentarian is to, you know, kind of see and report and not editorialize as much. Obviously, your own feelings and opinions are going to filter through. But I think it was very well. There was like a lot of care taken with the interviews that I really yeah. like. Yeah, I, I approve. Well, thank you. You know, so that's a great compliment. I appreciate it. And it's nice to know that, you know, you do this stuff and that somebody should go through it and, and you know, and, and come away with that. So that's great. I really appreciate it. Um, I, I think that, you know, at, at every level, you know, I had, you know, I have utmost respect for, for the, the people that, that created this scene and for the music itself. And in the end run, I mean, I approached it as, as um, I know sometimes, you know, heavy metal comes off like, I don't, I don't know what to say, like almost like a little boneheaded or something, you know? But, I mean, to me, it's the absolute opposite side of things. It's like, I looked at this scene as an important cultural movement and, and an important, like, you know, like, moment in society when a group of young people created something new. And so to me, it's important history, like important in my world, the same way like like the history of the Civil War is important, because it's important history in our in our country and in our world. And I, I treat it like that, but, but not out of any false bravado, but out of real respect for what the what the people achieved. And my guiding principle for that was look in the book. It, the, the photographs bear out all of this. And of course, that's why they worked so well with the interviews and then the photos there, because um, it, it just, it, each one enhanced the other. They were talking about something, and then you had these photos that really backed up what people were saying about the camaraderie, about what they had to do to pull the show together, and, you know, the struggles that, that people went through. Um, so I'll just say that, like, as I talk to people, I, I got a feeling from certain of the, of the, the people, whether they were, you know, let's say musicians or just the supporters, that, you know, at times during that period of time in the early, in the early 80s, that might not have been their best time personally. I mean, I'm talking about they came from broken families, there was a lot of stuff happening in their personal lives, it may not have been the best thing personally for them. However, they do remember it as, as maybe the greatest time in their life because the music was there for them and the group of people was there for them. So that kind of tells you a lot about it, is that, is that personally they were going through some hard times, but through that hard times they found this thrash metal music and that became the thing they needed to carry them through. I think that's a, that's, that's a very powerful message. And I, I actually heard that in a lot of different music. I mean, I, I think that message kind of probably works for people in a lot of ways. If you're in a country music, there's probably a time in your life when that music got through. And so, you know, just as, just as important here in, uh, in the thrash metal community. Nice. Um, one other thing that I really appreciate sure. is... Uh, in addition to highlighting all these bands and these places, 
I love that the there's a spotlight on the fans and specific fans, uh-huh. you know, not just Rich Birch, but like, you know, who's a famous person and not, you know, not industry people per se, although there's plenty of them in the film. I think it's really telling that you went out of your way to not just talk, you know, it's not just about the people who are connected to band members, but that these were actual fans in the community who drove this scene as much as the you need the bands to come and play. You need fans to fill up a scene. And I love the spotlight and the care that you took to, you know, sort of highlight them and tell their story a little bit, too. I I think you did. 
Good job. Um, as we wind this down, I just have a few more things for you. You've been really great with your time and your answers. I really appreciate it. Uh, I, what did you what you know, we see the film through your eyes. Right. And what you you know hope to leave on the screen for for the viewer. But what did you learn that you were surprised at that you didn't know coming in from the scene or from the interviews in general? Everybody's been playing. You have a band like Testament putting out a new album this month. That's 
just as great as anything they've ever put out. So I think that, that says a lot about this game. I fully agree. And then just uh, for a last question that I have for you, man, uh, just, uh, you know, what's on the horizon in the future for you? Because, you know, obviously this has been a labor of love for a long time and now it's out out to the masses and we'll link this in the description where people can buy it and stream it and everything. But uh, what's what's next for you, if anything, uh, planned? Well, I I, I don't have exactly something set up. man and like all great artists you have to live life in between projects anyway so you have some Uh experience to pull from anyway that inspires you so Adam and thank you for this chat thank you so much for this movie Uh, as a lifelong fan of the genre and uh, I I personally love it and I'm going to spread this gospel to everyone Uh, you have done a great thing thank you for Murder in the Front Row and uh, thank you you, man I mean a lot Indeed. Thanks so much for hanging out with Ghost Cult, man. I appreciate you. You bet. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for checking out today's podcast. Follow, like, and subscribe wherever you hear these podcasts. Also check out Ghost Cult Magazine on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And finally, check us out at ghostcultmag.com. We're out. Peace.